control and maybe eat China's lunch. Um, I think Hong Kong Exchange is secure as the outlet for Chinese firms that need USD access, but the real threat was star market. And I think that's why we saw so many listings today. You know, number one, competition between Chinex and Star. You've got to get these listings while you can. And two was just simply taking advantage of a hot market with high valuations, you know, striking while the iron is hot. Um, to me, Chinex now looks kind of expensive and a bit volatile, and I think we've gotten ahead of ourselves. But here's the real question. Investors in a market that's flying this high, some class of investors may well get burned before long. And the question is how authorities are going to respond if today's changes are contributing to that future event. Brock, always good to hear your thoughts and insights. Thanks very much. That's longtime investment executive Brock Silvers. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Over in the markets, down in Australia, the ASX 200 is completely flat, but the Nikkei 225 is slipping lower, down about uh, 0.4%. Uh, the Cosby in South Korea, also 0.4% lower, and looks like the Hang Seng is going to open more or less flat in an hour's time. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Do please stay tuned uh, for Back Chat with Hugh Chiverton and Mike Rouse in just a moment. The weather forecast, mainly fine and very hot. Maximum temperature is going to be about 33 degrees, and the outlook is for sunny intervals and a few showers tomorrow. Tomorrow. Temperature right now is 29 degrees and it's 82% relative humidity. 8.31 and a half, Samantha Butler has the half hour news. An Australian white supremacist who killed 51 Muslim worshippers at two mosques in New Zealand last year is due to face survivors of his attack at a sentencing hearing. Here's the BBC Shima Khalil. Brenton Tarrant faces a minimum sentence of 17 years. But the High Court judge presiding over the case has the power to sentence him to a full life term with no parole. The 29-year-old Australian pleaded guilty in March and was convicted of 51 murders and 40 counts of manslaughter. He is also the first person to be convicted under New Zealand's most recent terror laws. He is expected to appear in court for a four-day hearing at which survivors and victims' relatives will give impact statements. Firefighters in California are preparing for conditions to worsen as they try to control nearly 600 wildfires. President Trump has been speaking about the fires at the White House. Yesterday I approved a major disaster declaration for California as they battle two of the worst wildfires in the history of their state. We're working very closely with the governor and very closely with uh, a lot of great state representatives and local representatives and we'll take care of the situation. Our hearts go out to the thousands of families who have lost their homes as we grieve for the families of two first responders and five residents who have tragically lost their lives. A senior Iranian official says the black box recorders on the Ukrainian plane accidentally shot down by Iran in January show it was hit by two missiles, with passengers and pilots alive for 25 seconds before the second missile hit. All 176 people on board the plane were killed. Here's the BBC's Sebastian Usher. 
The head of Iran's civil aviation organization has said that the cockpit voice recorder registered a conversation between the pilot, the co-pilot and an instructor for some 19 seconds after the first missile struck. He says it shows they were in control of the plane until the last moment. Iran originally denied shooting the plane down but was forced into acknowledging its tragic mistake by international pressure. There was subsequent prevarication over the black boxes. They were finally sent to France to be decoded last month. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chewett and your co-host today is Mike Rouse. Mike, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. And we're talking today about the plan for mass testing in Hong Kong and other COVID-related issues. The government will launch citywide testing next week. It says laboratory testing and surveillance are important elements in the government's anti-epidemic work and appealed to members of the public to fight the virus together and join the programme for the sake of their health and that of their families, with a view to winning the battle against the virus as soon as possible. How effective do you think this approach is? The administration has spoken to 5 million participants. Is that realistic? Will you take part in it? If so, why? If not, why not? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk, or you can give us a call. Our number is 233-88266, We're going to be talking in a moment to uh, Dr Kwok Ka Ki, a Civic Party lawmaker, and Dr Young Chu Fat, who's president of the Hong Kong Doctors' Union, and Professor Kowling joining us after the news at nine. If you've got any questions or comments, uh, please uh, share them. Our email address, once again, backchat at rthk.hk. Let's start with some uh, uh, discussion of uh, uh, Friday's programme. This is from David F., uh, who says, I find it uh, incredulous that your guest on Friday's programme, Regina Yip, should criticise the inclusion of the subject of separation of powers in liberal studies. I was astounded by her claim that there had never been separation of powers in Hong Kong and the United Kingdom. Although the separation of powers has long been a controversial and politically charged issue, the Hong Kong courts have repeatedly held that the basic law enshrines the principle of separation of powers. The Chief Justice has explicitly stated that the prescribed constitutional model for Hong Kong involves the separation of powers. The concept of separation of powers has been applied to the United Kingdom and in 1995 judgment, Lord Mustall summarised the prevailing view that it's a feature that Parliament, the Executive and the Courts each have their distinct and largely exclusive domain. Contrary to Ms Zip, I do feel this subject is suitable for secondary school students to widen their view of life before going to university, particularly for those wanting to study law who will be able to better perform at the university entrance interviews. Thanks very much indeed for that. Uh, on uh, COVID and related uh, issues... Uh, this is from T, uh, who says, straighten out queries about whether those pandemic relief packages for businesses are working the way they're supposed to and not subject to abuse by unscrupulous employers. For example, businesses ordering its employees to go on no paid leave while benefiting from the relief scheme. Sherman says in an email, has anyone seriously contemplated the feasibility of conducting mandatory universal testing under a lockdown? What are the pros and cons? Mainland China, Germany, Italy, the United Kingdom have all conducted various versions of lockdown of a city or district. If they could do it, so can we. If their citizens were willing to cooperate for a worthy cause, I don't see why Hong Kong people can't refuse 
uh, to cooperate. It's our civic duty to contribute to efforts to protect public health. Larry says, I'm grateful to thousands of medical workers who are helping to conduct mass testing of millions of Hong Kong citizens in early September. It's a formidable task. Uh, and a couple of comments on Facebook. Howard says, the current administration has lost the trust of the people. I predict they won't come close to even reaching one million tests, let alone five million. This exercise will be a complete waste of money and time. And uh, Ng Yao Ning says government advisers will be wrong. Half of the political spectrum assume that this test infringes on their privacy. And many, regardless of political inclination, have heard experts say these tests mean little. Assuming we have 8 million people here, 5 million is over half. Talk to your friends. Do over half of them tell you they would definitely go and get tested? Personally, I could only imagine myself getting tested if I need to travel to the mainland for work and that this result will exempt me from quarantine. That is from Yao Ning. Thanks very much indeed. Back chat at rthk.hk is our email address. All right. Good morning, Dr. Kwok. Good morning, Mike. Um, Good morning. We, we seem to have discussed this uh, mass testing idea before mm-hmm. and most people didn't seem that keen, didn't think it was going to be really useful. <laughs> Good question. Now, um... If we really want to know the aim of the test, I think each test has its own aim, which, you know, uh, uh, otherwise people will not join. So for this particular wave, uh, probably the test is initiated by the third wave. But the origin of the third wave is actually the exempted policy, which allowed uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of people entering Hong Kong without testing. I think that is the, the root problem. So... But unfortunately, at this very moment, there are still many people who are still exempted. Apparently, the government is not willing to change the policy, number one. And number two, for, for any test to be really meaningful, there has to be some conditions. Like, you know, people are quite well pointed out very well that at least have to lock down. Because otherwise, if you test the test, do, do the test today in a particular district, but the people is, willing, is allowed to go to other districts to work, or in the next day he may be shopping or taking meals in other districts. So it doesn't, you know, have any, any, any use. Uh, if, even if you are so-called test negative at the end of the mm-hmm. testing period. Number three is, um, you know, how do we uh, go on with this test? The test has a very short period of time, which is can be useful. Now, if in Hong Kong, the situation, people are actually allowed to come in without testing, you know, the so-called exempted policy. So even if you can do the test at this very moment, two weeks later, one or two weeks later, the test becomes no use because, you know, there are new bags of people coming into Hong so Kong. So you have to do it again. Yeah. So this is an ended story. Come in and again and again and again. Right. And not only that, because uh, we actually found from the, a lot of the uh, notice coming from the government saying that they are enlisting many people to help. But, you know, I was a little bit uh, uneasy about the, you know, they are recruiting students and even healthcare workers um, and other, well, there's a so-called healthcare assistant in the hospital, which normally is only, you know, um, uh, you know, is uh, accountable for, you know, giving meals, changing right. the pants, uh, taking a bath, but they are people who, in, in the coming month, going to do the test That's, for can, us. Can you I know, ask this is something I, which is quite... I've got to ask them, for me. what yeah. is the test? Is it 
deep, is it a, th- a swab to the throat or up the nose or just you cough into a jar? Which one no, are no, they doing? it's not coughing to a jar. They, they, they actually decided to do both tests for a single citizen. There's, we call the uh, nasopharyngeal and oropharyngeal. Now, for the nasopharyngeal, we need to uh, put in a testing uh, equipment in, through the nose in, into the nasopharynx. And for the oropharyngeal testing, we need to have a tongue depressor pressing on the on pressing down the, the tongue, and then use the swab going to the the back of the oropharynx, touching the oropharynx. You know, you have the experience. Will I you do the both? Experience. You will be, you know, uh, you are actually uh, uh, in, inviting people to cough yes. or even vomit. Right. But you know, you are giving the hands to some untrained personnel to do the test, which is, to me, is, is ridiculous. You, how can you ask a healthcare assistant or physiotherapist or students of only first-year students, maybe in a nursing school, maybe in an occupational therapy school, to, to do the test? You know, they are very dangerous procedure. I mm. have read a lot of articles from many medical schools. Like, one of the very famous articles is from Wuhan, for one of the medical schools in Wuhan. They only allow eight nurses to do the test for the whole month in Wuhan. You know Wuhan has the COVID. They, they do it very carefully, only in a room with negative pressure. You know, the people is actually not able to get in face to face. They have a, have a, have a plastic shield uh, between the nurses and the, and the patient or the, or the citizen going to be tested. A lot of safety measure has been taken. And now we have a new stack. They, have want, they wanted to set over the over the each different communities with, you know, people with, uh, I cannot believe we well, to be very well-trained personnel to take the swap. To right. me, you know, the exercise is a lot of, you know, loopholes. And I really doubt the use. You know, the, the purpose is not clear and the you know, the, the practice is not clear. And we, although we are told that we don't need to spend money on testing because it will be sponsored by the mainland government, the point is, it's not without risk. Mm-hmm. One of the studies done by the Boston University Medical School, they have conducted recently a study on 100 cases of the, taking the uh, nasopharyngeal swab. 8% of them, they have the epistasis, meaning bleeding from the nose. 4% have headache, 4% have rhinorrhea, and some of them, they have uh, vomiting. So that is a lot. Add together, there's some, up to 20% of patients may have some minor complication after taking the oropharyngeal swab. So <laughs> don't, don't ask me to answer the question. I'm not supposed to answer. But I mean, to uh, me, a lot of, a, a lot of unanswered no, questions. No one's to, going to do it. You make it sound almost like a torture. <laughs> I don't know. I can't say for that because, you know, it, it is simply the purpose of the test is not clear. Right. Dr. Yeah, Young, how, how, yeah, how, morning. Morning. How, how are the doctors yeah. in the, your, your outfit, what are they making of this? Well, I just echo with Dr. Kwok about the policy made by the government. Hello? Yes, yes. Hello? Yeah. And uh, I have been, I've been coming across the patients in my clinics that travel across the border and telling me that they, they don't uh, have to take the test and they they are only under medical surveillance and this gives you a like about you know if you want to test those uh, uh, 
citizens and find out those uh, asymptomatic carriers. We have to stop those uh, coming back to Hong Kong uh, without testing. I think it's a very, very basic principle that don't want to for the COVID COVID virus to come across the border is a very important thing before you, you start the screening. As far as the screening is concerned, just like uh, Thor Cox said, there are a lot of dangerous measures that uh, that the government has not stopped. Just like uh, uh, Thor Cox said, the best measure is that there should be a, a shield between the tester and the citizen uh, that most countries have thought government is now insisting that the test should be done inside halls and that will cause a lot of problems. If we can do it, the uh, problem will, will, be, will be lessened, I think. Uh, as long as I know, just uh, listen to the, uh, uh, to the radio next door, and uh, the Secretary for Civil Service said that they have recruited about 3,000 doctors and nurses and some students for the, for the swapping uh, uh, work. I think that's not enough. That 3,000 have to work day and night for 14 days. Uh, how can they, they do so many days and so many shifts for, for these workers? I think the, 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 the number of recruitment have not uh, been uh, 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 you know, recruited to the, to the minimum number that we should. I, I have calculated the number of recruitment should be up to about 10,000 in order to make the test more safe and more uh, comfortable for those swappers and the citizens. I think still there are a lot of uh, uh, way to go for the government to recruit. How many uh, people do you tests. think then will volunteer? How many? I just heard from the Secretary for Civil Service there are about 3,000 volunteers. Uh, that's the people to and do that, the test. But that's not enough. How about members of the public? They have to work yes. for days and nights for 14 days. 14 days. If, if, if there are 5 million citizens are coming up. But will and there? Will there be five million? million? I doubt the five million. I think I don't think so. Because uh, I have experience in some contaminated areas that those citizens who return the swap, uh, the swap uh, sampling box, only uh, 20 to 30 percent of citizens in the contaminated area return the sampling box. Even though they are given incentive of one box of uh, 15 masks all right, even with an incentive. The, well, the, the administration says that the, the purpose uh, of the testing program is to identify uh, as early as possible asymptomatic patients and achieve the target of early identification, early isolation and early treatment to cut the community transmission chain. And that's why they, they're doing it. Do you think that... Uh, it might not be perfect, but do you think that the, this program will contribute to that end? That, that well, this program is... Uh uh, doing along this way, I think I think that the objective is is good, but we have mm -hmm. to do a lot of policies and uh, measures uh, around this screen test to make it more more perfect, you know. And otherwise, uh, you you just uh, wasting everybody's money and, and and time for that. Doctor Kwok, what's your estimate of public participation? Now, I can't imagine. Because, you know, people had a lot of worries about, you know, the safety of the doing the test in some uh, booth or so-called testing center without, you know, really good protections. People are not understanding the purpose of the test. People are worrying about the privacy or even people worrying about whether the DNA information was sent to mainland. So a lot of these 
query has been raised over the past month, and unfortunately, it will be very difficult to persuade people, you know, to uh, get away all these worries. Quite difficult. But back to the issues now. Just yesterday, there was a very alarming news to us. Uh, one pa- one confirmed cases of the COVID-19 was actually being diagnosed a month ago, and her uh, helpers was actually admitted to the hospital in the in the eastern hospital in the, on the same day. But that particular maid or helpers has been staying in the hospital for one ho- one whole month without uh, people uh, acknowledging that he, she is a close contact. So over the month, she has been, you know, in contact of, with hundreds of uh, healthcare workers and also patients in the hospital. And that is something, you know, to me, it's a, it's, it's tra- it's a tragic event because, you know, uh, she was admitted to the patient in a ward with patients with a lot of have the, of the so-called uh, blood cancer. A lot of them actually have under the treatment like chemotherapy or immunotherapy. So, you know, that is something which shouldn't be allowed to happen. But because of the lacking of the manpower of the, of the CHP, of the uh, Center of Health Protections and also the Department of Health, this is what they have on their hands to do so. They, can, they don't even have any electronic means to, to trace the contacts. They are using papers, giving the papers of one team to an aunt, to, an, to another team. Can you believe it? In Hong Kong, we are using papers to trace down the contacts. And yet, you know, the estimated numbers of cases which can be revealed by this massive test is about one in 10,000. So, you know, even if we had, we have, we convinced five million people to do their test, we may have about 500 uh, so-called invisible cases. But the problem is, how can the CHP or the government has the ability to trace? We have this very vivid example of seeing, you know, the lack of empower or the mechanism of them to trace down the context. So even if you ha- can, you know, have the ability to, to, to identify those so-called 500 invisible, you know, the follow-up is not uh, adequate. And secondly, people is still allowed to come in Hong Kong without testing, as, as Dr. Young has pointed out. And we have a lot of cases like that seen by many uh, frontline doctors. You know, they have patients in front of them saying that, I just came back from China, but I, I, I was actually under the so-called medical surveillance. I think this kind of practice is actually hindering, if not hurting, the future of Hong Kong. So they should stop doing so. And if they really want to do the test, they should, you know, focus the test on people who really, you know, in danger, like people coming from across the border, number one, people who's actually working in the, in the terminal, in the cargo terminal, like in Kwaichung, people working in the um, in the uh, elderly home and the, and the, and also the, the elderly in the elderly home they are not tested and you know unfortunately a lot of, of our helpers on May is actually living in a very crowded conditions uh, before or after the the contract ended only one quarters of these maid or helpers is is actually handling handling the the samples to the government and they are the very high risk people. Why can't they be getting more attention from the government? 
and the government doing, you know, doing these massive tests without any purpose. You, you haven't mentioned, Dr. Kwok, uh, uh, privacy concerns, and I know some people have been worried about this, what's going to happen to their, their medical uh, information, the DNA details yes, and things yes. like this. Uh, uh, the government has said that uh, they will only test for, the, uh, for COVID and all testing will be conducted yes. here. Yes. Uh, are you reassured by that? Do you, you're not worried about the privacy issues? I, I, I myself, you know, I may not be able to judge whether, you know, the, how much of the information will be revealed. But anyway, even if the government or the secretary has uh, trying to reassure the public for many times, but the worry amongst the people cannot be, you know, taken away in, in days. You know, people in Hong Kong have a long history of not trusting the government. <laughs> you know, over the years, you know, we yeah, see a lot I mean, of isn't this just become a bit political? This is, we, look, I mean, this is reality. If you are not trusting your government, you may not be able to trust the information given. And that is something beyond the medical field. Put it this way. It, it doesn't, you know, I can't answer for that. You, you probably need to, to ask a social scientist to answer for that. But I'm quite sure when I meet a lot of public on my community, on my uh, constitution, uh, constituent, a lot of people say to me that I, I, they, they may not, you know, confident to do the test simply because of that worries. And that is something realistic. You know, the government should face with that. You know, you can't force the people to do the test. You, even if you force the people to do the test and people know very well that the test is only good for seven days. <laughs> and, you know, this is something quite, quite interesting. You, you spend billions of dollars in your test, although it may not be paid by people of Hong Kong. But yet, the, the use or, or, the, or the safety period of the test is only seven days. You know, it sounds really lot worthwhile to a lot of people, even so-called volunteers, although they are paid with a handsome, you know, uh, on the rare end, but I don't think people are attracted by those money because, you know, they are facing a lot of okay. themselves. All right, it's, it's a few uh, emails which uh, all have the same uh, message. Uh, basically, uh, Jim says, I don't see any Hong Kong with young children themselves or with young children in the family, grandparents, for example, volunteering to take the COVID-19 test. The implications of one family member testing positive on the family unit, because of the way Hong Kong government has split up families with their quarantine arrangements and isolated young children in hospitals and or quarantine facilities, is quite frankly appalling. There's absolutely no consideration for mental welfare and what both children and parents will go through in the short and long term with this protocol. No and I know with young children would go near a test. That comes uh, from Jim. GT says, to be honest, immunity test would be more value. Uh, in regards to the current test, I say no thank you. But also the main point is that if you are tested and found positive, you will put into quarantine, and most people will fear of being put into quarantine, so voluntary testing will absolutely fail. In regards to mandatory testing, if they're going to use the nasal sample approach, then I will consider this assault and disallow it. That's from uh, GT. Peter D says Carrie seems to have a bit of a problem in that she's given the wherewithal to universally test the population and now needs to persuade everyone to take this up. Otherwise she might appear ungrateful to her backers who have gifted her these facilities. So far she's not made a very convincing argument in particular not giving any additional reassurance about future leakage from border exemptions. Somehow show a good turnout and I'll drop the lockdown. Seems more like a stick than a carrot. Show a good turnout 
and if most of you test negative, we can run the election straight away within September, would be much more compelling and no doubt ensure a high turnout for the testing. Yours slightly mischievously, uh, Peter D. And Mike says, here are two professionals telling us, and hopefully the government is listening, that the testing uh, is... The government, that the testing government is planning is of very little use. Stop wasting money on these white elephant projects that comes uh, from Mike. And Paul says, I'm sure getting tested in Hong Kong is not going to be an enjoyable experience. No doubt you'll be constantly barked at by officials in full nuclear fallout garb, demanding that you sit where they tell you. Also, you'll be told to wash your hands at every moment and have to follow madcap social distancing rules. The cherry on top of the cake is, of course, the disgusting and highly uncomfortable nasal swab. Therefore, the only reason to go for a test is most likely because you suspect yourself of having C-19. Now, if all this hysteria surrounding the virus is true, then the last place anyone would want to be is next to cesspools of germs we used to call people waiting to be tested. And if the hysteria is misplaced, then why test people in the first place? That comes from Paul. So no takers among, among our listeners uh, so far. D uh, Dr Young, what, what about that issue of the quarantine? Uh, uh, you know, we have a couple of... Uh, a couple of listeners there saying they don't want to do it because they don't want to go into quarantine. That doesn't really make sense, does it? I think I think the parents are afraid of uh, test being positive for the kids and they, they go to quarantine. And there's uh, the actual problem that I come across uh, with a few few families that I've, I've I've tested positive for COVID in my clinic, and this is a very tragic experience for the families. I, 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 I think the, 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 what the family worries are right. And what I'm not worried is the number of uh, personnel being recruited for making the swapping tests and the number of participants in this mass screening. Uh, I, 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 I'm worried about the, 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 the control measures in the public, in the, in the, in the infection control measures that the government can, can do in the uh, swapping station to protect the citizens and also the, the those uh, who work for the swapping. Stop. And this, this is what I'm, worried, I'm still worrying about uh, in this last week of preparation. Okay, well, Dr. Young, thank you very much indeed for joining us, Dr. Young Chu Fat, the president of the Hong Kong Doctors Union, and thanks to uh, Dr. Kwok Kaki, the Civic Party lawmaker. Thank you both very much indeed for joining us this morning. Uh, after nine o'clock, uh, which is coming up very soon, we're going to be talking to uh, Professor Benjamin Cowling once again, a regular Monday appointment, uh, head of the division of epidemiology and biostatistics at the University of, of Hong Kong. Uh, if you've got any questions uh, for him uh, on uh, public health issues and epidemiology uh drop us a line backchat at rthk.hk or pick up the phone you can talk to him directly 233 is the number of course 233 we look forward to hearing from you then quick look at the weather now before the news at nine o'clock it's going to be guess what mainly fine and very hot again today temperatures up to about 33 degrees with moderate southwesterly winds the outlook sunny intervals and a few showers tomorrow the reading's now 29 celsius and the relative humidity is at 81 percent that was forced into acknowledging its tragic mistake by international pressure. There was subsequent prevarication over the black boxes. They were finally sent to France to be decoded last month. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back, back chat on a Monday morning talking about uh, COVID-19. Uh, we are joined now by Professor Benjamin Cowling, Head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the University of Hong Kong. 
Uh, we'd love to hear from you with your questions and your comments. 233-88266 is the number, 233-88266. Or you can email backchat at rthk.hk. I'll do our best to read out your, your uh, messages. Uh, we're talking principally about uh, uh, the testing plan, the uh, Universal Community Testing Programme, uh, as the administration calls it, which is uh, due to start uh, next week. Uh, Frank says, uh, though the exercise may be a perfect waste of time and resources, I trust our government officials, with Patrick Nip leading the way, will be the first to be seen queuing in the hot sun on suits or chong sams to be COVID tested. Good example speaks volumes. A stick up their nostrils or down their throats or both for greater accuracy may bring them back to earth and reconnect them with the man and woman they try to govern. Followed that, people may like to have a list of all the top government officials that got tested and results of these tests. No ID numbers required. Will government officials be tested? Has NIP been tested? People like to know. That comes uh, from Frank. Thanks very much indeed for that. Professor Cowling, good morning to you. Good morning. Um, this seems to have sort of taken a bit of a political turn, doesn't it? I don't know. that It's sort of a, the government uh, on one side and the opponents of the government on the other side when it comes to this mass testing thing. Uh, uh, that's not very, perhaps, very uh, useful development. Well, yeah, I, I, we've talked about it for a little while now. Uh, the, the rationale still hasn't really been clearly explained. I, I heard earlier today or maybe last night that a government spokesman was saying that the social distancing measures would not be lifted until everybody's done the mass testing. Um, but that's not really explaining a rationale. That's just trying to bully people into doing it. Did they? Sorry, I, I didn't hear that. Mm. Yeah, I heard it on another station this morning. Was it implied or direct? I don't know. I would like to know. I would like to know. Maybe I misheard, but but that that kind of statement is not going to help. David, in an email, says, I expect for most people there's little incentive to get tested. If the government wants to encourage participation, I think they need to be more persuasive than simply asking people to do their civic duty. They could pay everyone a small fee. How about entering all participants in a lucky draw with some decent cash prizes? That would be another way to provide some financial relief in the economic downturn. Some creative thinking there from David. What about some kind of incentive? Do you think that would pep it up? Yeah, David Webb actually had a, a very good suggestion to frame it as a lottery where you can get, you know, Hong Kong people really like the Mark Six. they like a bit of gambling, so you can think of it as a lottery, where you can have this free lottery ticket, you go along, you do the test, and if you win, which is a low probability, a one in 10,000, one in 100,000, you get a free holiday in Asia Expo. And your family members also get a free holiday in a different part of Asia Expo, <laughs> not together. <laughs> but is there a danger here? I, 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 it is, does have potential for being politicised, but also many sort of neutral people, just professionals, uh, casting serious doubt on the usefulness of the exercise. Yeah, I, I think if, if we were going to do this regularly, then perhaps there would be a little bit more rationale. I'm a little bit surprised in the U-turn against saliva, because for months we've been told that saliva is the best kind of sample to use, it's the right thing to do. You remember, months and months and months, the government's been testing saliva samples, not swabs. All right. Now, all of a sudden, they want the swab. Why don't they want the saliva? I, I don't understand that because saliva will be a much easier sample type for people to provide and would require less manpower on the government side to administer. But the cost is phenomenal. The cost of testing a sample alone is hundreds of Hong Kong dollars. And then you're talking about testing millions of people. I mean, that the cost of one round of this exercise 
could run to a billion Hong Kong dollars or more. And then if you're going to repeat it from time to time, that's a phenomenal amount of money just to find perhaps 10, 20, 30, 50 uh, before the break. The other, the other doctor said perhaps a, a few hundred. I doubt it. I doubt they'll find a few hundred cases that were not yet recognized. So that's a phenomenal expense just to find a very small number of of cases that hadn't otherwise been recognised. On the swab and, and the uh, saliva test, is the swab more accurate? Is that why? They, I mean, they're doing a new... I think everyone's going to have two tests, aren't they? They're going to be... Yeah, so so from elsewhere in the world, there's always been the, the, the evidence or the, the, the suggestion that, that swabs are a more sensitive way to detect the virus, but not, not by much. But in Hong Kong, we've had this special deep throat saliva sample type, and that's been the one that... The experts in Hong Kong have said is the, the best thing to do. Um, uh, and that, that was the case going all the way back February, March, April, May, June. It's only very recently that, that we've had this switch over to swabs uh, in line with the rest of the world. And I, I don't understand what, what's led to the change. Is there a danger here that there'll be actually quite a low take-up rate? And then... Well, I, I, I don't know if, it, if, if that's a danger... Um, I think it would be a missed opportunity. Sorry, it would be a missed opportunity to detect maybe a, a small number of cases that were otherwise unrecognised. But on the other hand, even if we do find some unrecognised cases, it's not clear that that will bring an end to the third wave because of the delays in the process. So, imagine if you or me go to get the test a day or two later, it's determined that we do have COVID-19. And then we, we're isolated, but we may have already passed on infection. Our family members, our friends would be quarantined. But what if we passed on infection to someone we don't even know in the bus or in another part of the city? And so we haven't drawn a, a close to that chain of transmission. In China, the same approach of mass testing has been very effective because they do a lockdown at the same time. So everybody stays at home. They start all the testing. When they find positives... At that point, the only people that could have been infected by a case are the family members, so they can be quarantined, and that really does bring an end to the chains of transmission in the community. But in, in Hong Kong, we're not proposing that, although the, the government have asked people. I think uh, uh, a government spokesman again yesterday suggested that after doing the test, people should stay at home voluntarily until they get the result, and that, that's the same concept, that if you are positive, then it would be better if you don't spread infection. But, but in reality, I'm not sure how many people are going to be willing to do that. Legally, is there power for the government to make it mandatory? I think it would be very difficult for them to make it mandatory. I mean, I suppose in Hong Kong nowadays, they could make anything mandatory. They could, you know, they can make up laws as they like. But um, I don't think it would be a good idea to make it mandatory. I think there would be, it would be too difficult to enforce. Yes. There'll be uh, civil civic resistance, I suppose. Okay, an email from Dan who says, "What about major unintended consequences? Could large-scale COVID nineteen testing actually further spread the disease?" Uh, I know they are uh, taking measures yeah, like ventilation. I, I, I'm still a little bit confused because we were told that the elections couldn't take place in September because of the risk of lots of people queuing up and the risk to the staff operating the voting stations, despite them being provided with with protective equipment and so on but now we're having exactly the same procedure with many of the same staff but to do the mass testing instead of the election and apparently now it is completely safe uh whereas the election was was, was incredibly unsafe 
and that doesn't really make sense. So it's it's true. Your your the question is 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 a a reasonable question. Could there be unintended spread from gathering people together to queue up to get tested? I don't think it's a major risk, the same as I don't think there was a major risk associated with the election. Um, but uh, I, mean, I, I, just, I, I think that the bigger issue is, is what what's really the rationale for doing the mass testing in the first place. Okay. On the question of, uh, you know, keeping the testing going until uh, and not lifting the lockdown, uh, B has sent uh, a piece from the Hong Kong Standard uh, which says Sophia Cham slammed those medical staff for their conspiracy theories as their words have an obliterating effect on the universal COVID-19 test. She added their words are not helpful for epidemic prevention. The public should participate in the COVID-19 test for the well-being of others, Sophia Chan said. She added young and healthy people might think they would not be affected by the COVID-19. However, if they get infected, they could transmit to people in high-risk groups, such as elderly. Uh, if the invisible transmission chain continues to exist in the the community, social distancing measures cannot be relaxed because once measures are relaxed, there is a risk of epidemic rebound or even cause another wave of community outbreak, Sophia Chan wrote. And Financial Secretary Paul Chan also advised people to get tested to help identify and isolate silent carriers uh, with no symptoms. Uh, and um, one from Paul Zimmerman, who says, I agree with Kwokkaki. We should use the testing capacity to test every person crossing the border and boundaries every time they do so. Next, use the capacity to test those considered at risk following contact tracing or other risk analysis. Tests have a limited lifespan. Persons are infectious only for a short period. Persons can be infected at the tests or anywhere in the city. Every person will thus have to be tested in a short time again to meet the detection objectives. Hence, mass testing will have little use unless you lock down the boundaries, which is economically suicide. Finally, immunity tests conducted by Hong Kong U have shown that COVID has reached far less than 1% of the people who tested voluntarily. That comes from uh, Paul Zimmerman. Oh. Uh, Professor Cowling, I'm, I'm baffled as to why the government is insisting on going ahead with this. Yeah, I, it's a good question. I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I wonder why we're paying for it, if indeed Hong Kong taxpayers are paying for it, because it is an enormous expense, and I think there should be better uses of the same amount of money. Um, I, I do find it kind of perplexing. I wonder whether because this strategy has been effective, and it has been effective in mainland China, maybe because of that, then the, the officials in Hong Kong think they can replicate doing exactly the same thing and, and succeed in Hong Kong as well and show the rest of the world how good we are. But the, the situation here is not the same as China. As I said, we, we can't do this one, uh, two-week or three-week or four-week lockdown of the city, go through the testing, and then reopen again. It's just not feasible in Hong Kong. Um, how about this, these numbers of exempted people keep being referred to. I remember on one programme, Dr. Kwokkaki estimated there were 300,000 people on the exempted list. Do you have any idea of the numbers? I don't know the number, and I'm not sure which of those exemptions have been uh, changed in the past few months. That was an issue going into our third wave. So if you remember, we got the numbers of cases down to a very low level right. in early April, in early April, and then we had May and June, it was relatively quiet, and then July, we had our third wave. As the numbers come again, come down again now, in hopefully by mid-September, we'll be declaring the end of this third wave. We've then 
got a period of time where we should stay at low cases. Sooner or later, there will be a resurgence as we relax social distancing measures and infections find their way back into Hong Kong. Sooner or later, we will have a fourth wave, but hopefully it's later. Hopefully it might not even be until 2021. But the more exemptions we allow, the more we allow people to come into Hong Kong without doing a 14-day quarantine, the higher the risk of getting an introduction of the virus into the community. And then that would lead to an earlier fourth wave, which we don't want, because the fourth wave is going to cause enormous disruption yet again, before we will be opening up the community, relaxing all the social distancing measures, enjoying ourselves, hopefully for a month, two, three or four months. Hmm. But then when the fourth wave comes, we have to tie them up again. I must say, I, I'm missing the gym and the swimming pool. Um, people have talked about the other effects of, of this sort of control regime, effect on mental health, especially on young people. Yeah, I think that, that we're still learning about that. Um, missing school is also going to have a big effect on kids um, in their education. And then, of course, their, their mental health, because kids have been staying at home. Uh, my kids spend all the time on the computer now, uh, don't have a chance to see their friends. And it is difficult. I, I think those are going to be long-term effects rather than short-term effects. Uh, and there is sort of COVID fatigue, isn't there? In the, uh, will people respond to uh, another lockdown and then another one after that and then another one after I, I that? I think we've, we've done pretty well in this third wave. Mm. Um, and I think we, we need a chance to relax once the case numbers come down to a low level. Hopefully that would be uh, maybe in a few weeks' time, maybe mid to late September. We can relax the measures and hopefully keep, keep the virus at a low level, keep it out of Hong Kong for a period of time. And that gives us a chance to recharge. But there is a concern that when the fourth wave comes or even in the future fifth or, or future waves, we won't be as willing, people in Hong Kong won't be as willing to go along with the social distancing measures as they have been so far. And also the economic impact is going to bite harder and harder. So it's really going to be a difficult time as we wait for vaccines to arrive hopefully next summer. And even when vaccines arrive, I don't think we can go 100% completely back to normal there's going to be a period of time where we we go a little bit back to normal while vaccines are being distributed and then we see how well they're working and then hopefully vaccines enough people get vaccinated and uh, the vaccines are effective enough that we can start to get back to normal later next year i guess there's some concern that the anti-vax movement seems to be gathering a bit of steam yeah, that, that's been an issue in, in other parts of the world. Not so much in Hong Kong. It's been an issue in other parts of the world for, for quite some time. And that's how uh, measles has had a chance to, to resurge in the US and Europe uh, because people are not vaccinating their children against measles. For COVID, I think we recognize the, the severity of the disease. It really would be important for everybody to get vaccinated, even young adults who are, who are not really that seriously affected by COVID themselves, but for the sake of the community. And I, I guess the government will make the vaccines free. It's not yet clear where the vaccines are going to be sourced from. But I think, I think there'll be a lot of enthusiasm for getting COVID vaccines from people in Hong Kong because we recognise that that would be a, a longer-term solution, a more sustainable solution, and get us out of the social distancing requirements. Maybe we can go back to the swimming pools and, and, uh, and gyms and so on, Mike. Yes, thank you. What... what? about the possibility that there may never be an effective vaccine? Uh, let, 
Yeah, we're all crossing our fingers. Uh, there's more than 100 vaccines in development. So even if the first one or two don't pan out as, as well as we hope, there's still a lot of options. Uh, there's 100 different, more, more than 100 different vaccines in the, in the uh, stages of development, many of them using different approaches. So even right. if one particular approach doesn't work that well, there's still a lot of other options. Okay. I'm confident that there will be a vaccine uh, sooner or later, but what we're hoping for is that we get a vaccine sooner and ideally by the middle of next year. I was reading recently that there's still no effective vaccine for SARS, for example. Well, SARS is a, is, a, is a different issue. So in 2003, work was started on SARS vaccines, including in Hong Kong. Um, but because the virus disappeared, enthusiasm for vaccines disappeared as well. Uh, funding bodies didn't really want to invest in, in developing a vaccine for a disease that had disappeared. And research has moved on to the next thing as well. Uh, so there could have been a vaccine for SARS if people had kept working at it, but, but they didn't. So I, I don't think... It's not to say that there couldn't be a vaccine for SARS. It's just that effort wasn't put in to make right. one. Why did it disappear? And could COVID-19 disappear in the same way? So SARS disappeared because we made it disappear through human effort. Mm -hmm. uh, SARS spread mainly in hospitals. It was mostly a severe infection. So it was relatively easier to identify who had SARS, at least with clinical suspicion. Uh, people with pneumonia could be isolated. There were very few mild cases. And infections only really spread in the hospital. A few exceptions like the Amway Gardens outbreak in Hong Kong, but by and large it spread mostly in hospitals. And so it was easier to stop it spreading. For COVID-19, it's extremely difficult, actually because it's a milder infection. Most infections are very mild, and we can't even identify the people who are infected. We can't isolate them. We can't trace their contacts because we don't even know who they are. And that, that's been a problem in not only in Hong Kong, but, but everywhere in the world, that, that COVID-19 is, is just really difficult to, to stop through targeted measures. OK, some uh, more thoughts from listeners. Uh, Andy says, quotes today, South China Morning Post, retesting to eliminate restrictions. Uh, quote, writing in his Sunday blog post to drum up support for the programme, Chief Secretary Matthew Chung said the more participants in the programme, the faster we will be able to identify the asymptomatic patients, cut the transmission chain, help Hong Kong contain the outbreak and put the economy and society back on the right track. Thank you, uh, Andy, for that. Uh, Mike says, why deep swab test and not saliva? Uh, ACE or ACE2 receptors is where the virus attaches in the body and those receptors are located in the deep throat. That comes from Mike. Uh, Andrew says, uh, how different are the risks of infection of the 5 million the administration hopes for in COVID tests versus holding the LegCo election voting? Uh, COVID-19 tests are over two weeks, but elections could be fragmented too if they were deemed important, surely. That's uh, from uh, Andrew. Uh, and uh, Frank, uh, again, on the issue of whether uh, Patrick Nip and other officials will take the test, uh, says, would it be possible for you guys to make a call to the office of Patrick Nip now and ask him or his rep directly whether, as COVID, uh, COVID test coordinator, he and his principal officials will be tested? People are anxious to know. That's a suggestion from, from uh, Frank. Uh, G says, when the rationale for the mass testing, its methodology, protective equipment for those doing it, protective procedures for those undertaking it, the experience of those conducting the tests, and, of course, the precise method for, for testing samples, and 
and efficacy of tracing, etc., has not been explained by the government, i.e. absolute transparency in every aspect. It's apparent that this proposal is a COVID test on the competence of our government. Visible participation by all our top echelon of government, Exco members and their families might help to allay some concerns. That comes from G. I think I, I did see somewhere that certainly Carrie Lamb said she would be sort of first in the queue. Uh, I'm sure there yeah. will be photo ops. I'm, well, I think that's. I think it's absolutely now got to be a basic. If we don't, when it starts, see all of those people queuing up with their families, um, then I, I think that the exercise will simply be a damp squib. Mm. Uh, one more from Mark, who says, I think one worry that seems not to be mentioned is whether a positive test will mean a person must suffer economically. Uh, that's uh, another angle, another concern that's raised by Mark. Thanks for that. Backchatter.thk.hk uh, is our email address. Uh, Magnus says, uh, many thanks to Professor Cowling for his input this morning. He's mentioned the proper quarantining of our borders as being a very obviously important aspect in delaying the fourth wave. But once it inevitably arrives, we need to fight it efficiently. That means adopting the best possible practice on testing, contact tracing and isolation. Please ask Professor Cowling for his opinion on how we are currently placed in those critical areas. So, Professor Cowling, how are we doing on testing, contact tracing and, and isolation? So we, we've scaled up testing capacity quite substantially in the past few months. We were testing about 3,000 a day in March now I think we've got capacity for 20,000 or more a day. And with this population testing, if that's done in Hong Kong, which I uh, suppose it would be, then we'll have even more capacity because that, that's going to require an enormous lab capacity to, to, to do all of those tests. Uh, in terms of contact tracing, uh, I think Dr. C.C. Leung made the point a month ago that contact tracing was really struggling um, because the lack of manpower. But that's now been rectified uh, I saw a report on RTHK that discipline services have been uh, have been brought in to help with the contact tracing efforts in Hong Kong, uh, and I think that's a good idea. So now we can cope if there were to be a larger number of cases. But I have to say, ideally, in the fourth wave, if or when that was to occur, I think we will still need some social distancing measures to bring it under control. We've seen in the second wave in March and the third wave in July both times. Everybody's wearing masks. We've got a, a lot of testing capacity. We're doing contact tracing when the numbers of cases are still relatively low, and we couldn't stop it until the, the government implemented some social distancing measures. I think the most critical ones were asking civil servants to work at home, because that then encouraged private businesses as well to, to, uh, to allow their staff to work from home. And that measure, uh, I think, has been probably the most mm. effective also closure of the, the bars and leisure facilities where we have seen transmission events in the second wave and the third wave. And the measures in restaurants are a little bit more controversial. We have seen transmission in restaurants, but, but also restaurants are important to people in Hong Kong. We, we discovered a month ago that people can't eat on the street. It's not, it's not a good idea. And uh, I, I don't completely understand why there's a limit of two persons to a table right. when, when it's often people that the families or, or, or colleagues that work together who are going out for lunch anyway. So uh, I think we can still fine-tune those measures, mm -hmm. but we will need some social distancing in the fourth wave. What will happen if one member of a family is found to be positive? Do they 
can they all stay together at home or do they all get well, whisked away to a government we camp? We isolate every single confirmed case, even if they're asymptomatic. So they will go to Asia Expo or the relevant facility for isolation. And if, they, if their family members are determined to be close contacts, it's not guaranteed that they would be, but if they're determined to be close contacts, for example, if they spend time at home without wearing masks, then the family members would be quarantined as well as a precaution in case they turn out to have been infected. And so I wasn't completely joking when I said it is a free holiday in Asia Expo for you and your family members. <laughs> so well, I, what, what, what about, there's a suggestion from Phil B, uh, anyone tested positive should be given a financial reward to help them through quarantine. This may help people come forward. What about that? They're not just a free I holiday. I think it's been but, an issue, uh, not only in Hong Kong, but in other parts of the world. When people who uh, depend on their going to work in mm. order to, to, to make an income, when they're isolated in hospitals, they lose that source of income. They might even lose their job. Uh, and that's a real problem. I'm not sure how that's been dealt with so far in Hong Kong, whether there's been any special compensation for that. Um, because it would be a big issue for, for other people. For, for me, I have sick leave. So if I'm in hospital, then you know I wouldn't get in trouble. But I know other, other employees in Hong Kong are not so, so generous with my university. And maybe... There are people who've lost their jobs because they've had a very mild case of COVID or even asymptomatic COVID and been isolated and unable to work. I wonder if you could make it like jury duty, where the employer, you, you, you can't sack someone mm. or, or right, you know, that, you've got maybe, to keep paying them. I, I'm not sure, but that, that would be a good idea. But that won't be foolproof, will it? I mean, here, here we get a small fee for taking part in this programme. If we don't turn up, we don't get the fee. And that we lots of situations where that's true for uh, other people mm. they're, they're they're either there and getting paid or they're not there and not getting paid mm. yeah people who are paid by the hour so they they just paid if they turn up and if they don't turn up there's there's no pay there's no long-term contract maybe okay well uh, thank you very much indeed once again for for joining us first benjamin cowling the head of the division of epidemiology and biostatistics at the university of hong kong uh last we're going to s in uh, uh an email uh not related to today's topic uh s says if for some reason a legislator steps down isn't there usually a by-election so if any of the current legislators step down would there be a by-election as far as i recall i think the administration said they wouldn't they did say that and no, they, so they wouldn't they were quoting the uk example where it was in the legislation. Everyone got postponed, and if there was a vacancy, no by-election. It just stays yeah. stays empty. Uh, Mike, thank you very much indeed. For, I'm for... off to get my test tomorrow morning. OK, good luck with that. It'll be interesting. <laughs> You're, it's the saliva test, is it? Yes, and I'm going to keep quiet about the result. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. Uh, the weather forecast before we go. Mainly fine and very hot today. Temperatures up to about 33 degrees and there's a very hot weather warning at the moment. The outlook's sunny in tools and a few showers tomorrow. The showers will increase and there'll be thunderstorms in the following couple of days. 29 degrees now. The relative humidity is at 77%. Hi, I'm Lazy Lion. To fight this pandemic, take preventive measures when commuting. Avoid rush hours and busy times and take advantage of flexible working hours. Wear a mask when taking a ride. If possible, open the windows to ventilate the vehicle. Clean your hands with liquid soap and water or alcohol-based hand rub after using public transport or touching public facilities. Social distancing can help prevent the spread of COVID-19. Tips for you and me to prevent COVID-19. 9.31, the news with Samantha Butler. 
The U.S. Food and Drug Administration has given emergency authorization for the use of plasma from recovered coronavirus patients to treat sufferers. The technique has already been used on thousands of people. At a news conference at the White House, President Trump praised the speed at which the new technique was developed. A big security cordon has been thrown around the High Court in the New Zealand city of Christchurch, where an Australian white supremacist who killed 51 Muslim worshippers at two mosques last year is attending his sentencing hearing. Brenton Tarrant could receive a full life term without parole. And a senior Iranian official says the black box recorders on the Ukrainian plane accidentally shot down by Iran in January show it was hit by two missiles with passengers and pilots alive for 25 seconds before the second missile hit. All 176 people on board the plane were killed. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. Good morning to you too. How are you doing? Excellent. Good morning. Good morning. Fine, thank you. Thanks for inviting me to your show. Thank you. Good morning. Good to see you. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning once again. Welcome to Monday. Off we go for a brand new week. And that means the CEO of HK Rugby, Robbie McRobbie, is going to be with you for his weekly news. That's at 10 minutes past 10. 10.30 plus, best-selling author, New York correspondent Tracy Kwan returns with more life, postal politics, some great history stuff about Richard Nixon today. And, of course, the books, all from the Big Apple. Moving on this morning, this year, well, apart from the obvious, it's been a year of learning new skills. I bet you have learned at least something new this year, something constructive and new. Well, we're going to offer you one more. At 11.40, world-renowned floral designer Dr Solomon Leung is going to join me live from his workshop to tell you all about how to do dried flowers, especially this time of year, abundance of them. He's also going to demonstrate some of his techniques for you on Facebook Live. Wow, what a bargain. Mungo's Hi-Fi and Marina P. On the Morning Brew, it's 22 minutes to 10 o'clock. Lyrics we no borrow, no we no lend To be a pirate, it was quicker then Then all of a sudden, the vibes have changed 